0: and laughs theater of the mind the best love programs from radio's golden age only on zoomer radio now here is your master storyteller frank proctor
1: well thank you and welcome to the show well once again i'm a little short on time which is okay for you since it gives you more time to spend with Bob Bailey in another episode of Let George Do It. Standard of California, on behalf of independent Chevron gas stations and standard stations throughout the West, invite you to Let George Do It. Another adventure of George Valentine. Personal notice. Dangerous my stock and trade. If the trouble you're in is way off the beaten track and
2: you need help that's strictly confidential, you've got a job for me, George Valentine. Write full details.
3: Uh, Dear sir, you employed the word confidential in your advertisement. Well, I need confidential help. Uh, My enthusiasm for birds has led me into a predicament. I was watching starlings, but I saw something that was never meant to be seen, and it keeps haunting me, if I really saw it. Unless
4: my eyes deceive me... My eyes deceive me, I was the witness, the only witness to an outrageous crime. There's nothing more I can say in a letter. Please contact me at once, and it's signed Elliot...
5: Wormsley. <laughs>
2: Wormsley, that sounds like a name out of Dickens.
4: Elliot Wormsley, MS, PhD, Statistical Services, Baxter Building.
2: Birdwatcher, huh? Mm-hmm. Now, what kind of canaries is this statistician interested in anyway?
4: Oh, stop kidding, George. <laughs> That's a pretty grim phrase. I was the only witness to an outrageous crime. Yeah,
0: and he's in a predicament. That's a twist.
4: What was it he could have seen? I don't know, Brooksy, but
0: let's see what we can see. Let's drop in on Dr. Wormsley. <laughs>
3: These are the binoculars, Mr. Valentine. Uh, the ones I used to watch starlings on that penthouse roof down there. Uh-huh.
4: But that's almost three blocks away, Dr. Brimsey. Yeah, I know.
3: The river house, huh? Pretty swanky.
4: Golly, George. You can see halfway around the world with these binoculars.
2: All right, Angel, stop playing. Now back to you, Dr. Wormsley. So you looked for starlings and saw Killer Hawk, Hawkins? Uh, something like that, Mr. Valentine. Okay. Now, just what was this outrageous crime? What did you see that you shouldn't have
3: seen? Uh, Murder.
4: I guess I dropped your nauseous, Doctor.
3: Did you say murder? Uh, I I can't be sure. Uh, But I just trained my eyes down there, as I've been doing for weeks. And in that instant, I'm almost certain I saw a man push another man off the roof. Uh, Of course, he had his back to me. What do
4: you mean, almost certain, Dr. Wormsley?
3: Well, it it was over in a second. And I, I didn't expect to see what I think I saw. Besides, statistics show that the element of error in visualization over a 100 yards is 14 to a 1,000. Yeah, well, we'll take your word for that. But why didn't you go to the police with this story? Oh, no, no, Mr. Valentine. I'm a modest man, and I don't like publicity. Besides, I'm coming up for the presidency of my club. And, uh, well, so many people think birdwatching is, uh, well, uh, a little peculiar. Yes, I know you wouldn't make it. But murder is a very serious business. Uh, Mr. Valentine, if I would seen any mention of what I suspected in the newspapers, I would have volunteered this information to the police. But as it is, no crime has been reported.
4: Well, that's right, George. I didn't see anything about it.
3: Still, the picture of those two men keeps haunting me. I- I'm thinking of my reputation, but I-, I do have some public spirit, and I have to make sure... My conscience wouldn't let me rest if I didn't. Oh, I see. And you want me to check at the river house and soothe your conscience? That's it, young man, precisely. It uh, shouldn't take you more than a day, and I'm uh, willing to pay your usual fee.
2: (laughs) Okay, it's a deal, Wormsley. Oh, Brooksy. Yes, George. Just on a hunch, get out of the Bureau of Missing Persons. See Finley. Okay. Find out if anybody's been reported missing from the river house.
3: Uh, You will keep my name out of this, won't you?
2: Oh, yes. We'll do our best, Professor. I'll meet you back here later, Brooksy. Okay, George. I'm going over to the river house. Oh, you're very fortunate, Mr. Valentine. Penthouse B is vacant and it's only $5,400 a year. Yeah, a point of information, Mr. Stevens. As I get it, the uh, sun deck of this wing facing the river is for the exclusive use of Penthouse A and B. Oh, it's very private. And Penthouse A is occupied by the Dunlaps, Philip Dunlap, the broker. So that would put you in very good company and only $5,400 a year. Well, I was thinking of something a little better, but uh, I'll let you know.
6: Look who went and rang my doorbell. Wouldn't be the fuller brush man, would you?
2: <laughs> Not unless like my samples are showing.
6: <laughs> oh, come on in anyway. I hope you'll pardon the sunsuit. I wasn't expecting company. No, it's
2: nothing at all. I mean, practically.
6: I was out on the roof sunbathing. Uh,
2: and Mrs. Dunlap? That's right. Well, I'm the chap... It's been a
6: dull afternoon. Suppose we wait a while before you tell me what you want. Hmm? Well, as
2: a matter of fact...
6: You aren't going to stand there, are you? Here, sit down. <clears throat>
2: Uh, the truth is, Mrs. Dunlap, I may be your next-door neighbor in Penthouse B. Oh.
6: Well, that would be the first improvement they've made in River House without raising our rent. Uh,
2: I thought it'd be a nice gesture to sort of drop in on my possible neighbors and introduce myself. Mm. There is a Mr. Dunlap, isn't there? Uh,
6: yes, but you needn't worry about him. He hasn't been home for two days. Ah, oh, just like that, huh? Well, that's Philip for you. Thank heavens. He must have decided to go up to our cabin in the mountains to brood. Or he may be staying at his club. But as I said, this looked like a dull afternoon. We're not going to let it be one, are we? Ah. Oh, fine. That wouldn't be Philip. He has his key. Well,
2: whoever it is, just explain. I'm looking at the penthouse next door. Hal. Listen, Paula, we haven't heard from Philip
7: yet, and there are letters and contracts he has to sign downtown. Oh, right,
6: Hal. I'm not my husband's keeper. Oh, just
7: the same. I thought you might be worried. Oh. Oh, I didn't
1: know you were having company. Well,
6: this gentleman may be our next-door neighbor,
1: I hope. Uh, Mr... The name's Valentine. Oh. Really, Paula. At least now you know his name.
6: Oh, Mr. Valentine. This intense young man is my husband's secretary, Hal Sterrett.
2: How do you do? I don't know what you're going to do, Paula, but I'm going to call the police and report Philip
6: Mr. Uh, please do that, Hal. I'd feel so much better. Lord, how I hate righteous men. Especially when they're young. So petulant. Oh, where were we, Mr. Valentine?
2: Uh, I was just about to leave.
6: A mood is a very fragile thing, isn't it?
2: (laughs) Oh, you've been right, neighborly, (laughs) ma'am. Goodbye.
6: I don't think it's goodbye. Anyway, it was very nice even not having known you. (laughs)
3: Mr. Valentine. Mm -hmm. Oh, Dr. Wormsley. I I was waiting for you to come out of the river house. But why? I thought you made it a point you were to be the unknown factor in this to you. Uh, Well, uh, after you left, I, I did some calculating. Yeah, good for you, good for you. There must be a way of getting into this empty lot without climbing over that fence. And in my calculations, I discovered that the odds against anything as extraordinary as this happening to an ordinary man like me would be about uh, uh, 14,000 to one. You don't say. Uh, So if you don't mind, Mr. Valentine, I'd I'd sort of like to uh, tag along with you and see if I'm really that one in 14,000. Uh-huh.
2: Looks as though there's a gate in this fence. If we can get these
3: cans out of
2: the way... George! Hey, Brooksy, you should have brought a friend. We'd have a fourth for bridge.
3: Oh, oh, hello, Miss Brooks. Oh, George,
4: there's been no report of anyone missing in this district.
3: Oh, thanks.
4: I was on my way to your office, Dr. Wormsley, when I saw you heading for the river house. So here I am.
3: Well,
2: kids, let's see what we shall see. It's
4: just an overgrown lot. Uh, uh, That's right. George? You think that if Dr. Wormsley is right, the man would Nothing be... Nothing
0: like checking, Brooksy.
2: Dr. Dr. Wormsley, you did say that when you saw a man pushing another one off the roof, his
3: back was towards you? If I saw what I thought I saw. That's right. Uh uh-huh.
2: That would mean he was facing away from you, toward the river. Uh, yes, yes. Well, there's the river behind that highboard fence. and On this side of the building, there are only the windows and the elevator shafts and the stairways.
4: So no one would have seen him fall. Uh, Mr. Valentine, over here, over here, look. Huh?
3: There. That's a man. I mean, it was.
2: Uh Past tense is putting it mildly.
3: Oh, George. Then it it wasn't my imagination after all.
2: No. No, Dr. Wemsley, it wasn't. Just to quote a few more odds, it's at least a million to one this is the body of Philip Dunlap.
1: We'll return to tonight's adventure of George Ballantyne in just a moment. Meanwhile, a word about the great American pastime. If you're a baseball fan, check these two tips for getting the most out of this season. Number one, when you're driving to and from the game, use fast-starting Chevron Supreme gasoline. Special blending agents in Chevron Supreme give your car speedy warm-up and quick pickup for traffic getaways. And when it comes to hill climbing, premium quality Chevron Supreme gasoline takes you smoothly over the steepest ones. Number two, at independent Chevron gas stations and standard stations where you can get Chevron Supreme gasoline, there's a grand gift for you. It's a 48-page book about baseball written by Bert Dunn. You'll find in your free copy of Batter Up, the fundamentals about this great American sport. One illustrated section shows how to play each different position ask for a free copy of Batter Up tomorrow. It's yours at Standard Stations and Independent Chevron Gas Stations, where they say and mean, we'll take better care of your car. And now, back to tonight's adventure of George Valentine. It's only natural for a member of the Bird Watcher Society, even when he's a professional statistician like Dr. Wormsley, to be watching starlings on a penthouse roof. But when instead his binoculars revealed one man pushing another off that self- same roof, well, that's just sort of a case George would get involved in. It's about an hour since George found Philip Dunlap's body in the weed-covered lot back of the apartment building. and Now we join George and Claire talking to Lieutenant Riley at Homicide. Yeah, what is it? Uh,
5: Lieutenant Raleigh, Donnelly just brought Hal Stewart in. Do you want to see him now?
2: No, Let him cool his heels out there a while with Mrs. Dunlap.
5: Yes, sir.
2: Now, about Dr. Wormsley, Lieutenant Raleigh? Okay, Valentine, if... okay. When Lieutenant Johnson turned the case over to me, I didn't know what I was getting in for, but I'll do my best to keep your client's name out of the case. Oh, you're a pal.
4: Well, as a matter of fact, Lieutenant, you owe our little birdwatcher a debt. He did uncover a murder.
2: Miss Brooks... I don't want to appear ungrateful. Oh, no. I can always use a new murder. Uh Oh? I'm overjoyed that when you and Valentine stumbled over this homicide, you were uh, thoughtful enough to let me know about it.
4: Oh, well, it's nothing at all.
2: If you hadn't, I'd lock both of you up and throw the key away. Well, now that you've got your own sweet self, would you mind telling us what you found out from Mrs. Dunlap? Uh, Well, she said she was out shopping all that afternoon, and the doorman is alibying her. When she got back, this kid uh, Starrett was still there waiting to see his boss, Mr. Dunlap. He hung around a little longer and then beat it. Uh-huh.
4: Did uh, Mrs. Dunlap suggest that there might have been any bad blood between Starrett and her husband?
2: Well, she wasn't too anxious to admit it, but it seems young Starrett was being fired. Yeah, but what was the reason? Bad spelling? or making Google eyes at the boss's wife. I wouldn't know. Not yet. Mrs. Dunlap was too broken up to go into every little detail. Broken up, huh? I can just see her tears flowing like wine. What do you mean by that? Uh, well, just thinking out loud. Yes, Lieutenant. You can send Starrett in here now. Yes,
4: sir. Well, it looks to me as though Mr. Starrett has some explaining to do, or else.
2: Well, we know that he was there that afternoon, and your Dr. Wormsley saw a man push Dunlap off the roof. Uh, come in, son. Come in, come in. Lieutenant, no, I don't know. understand any of this. I. Oh, you. Hello, Start. What are you doing here? Just a neighborly interest in the fate of your late employer. Say, what is
4: this? Yes, George. I didn't know you two had met.
2: Well, never mind. Now, what's this about Dunlap deciding to fire you, Start? Well, I. Uh, Why? He. Uh, he didn't like my work, I guess. That's the usual reason, isn't it? You'll save a lot of time if you tell us the truth. You ask me a question. And I gave you the only answer you're going to get. You had a fight with your boss, didn't you? No. In the struggle, you pushed him off the roof. No. The man saw you from an office building. He couldn't oh, have. Oh, Lieutenant. Yes, Donnelly. Can I see you in a minute.
1: Yeah, okay. I'll be right
2: back. Hey, tell me something, Sterritt. Yes? If you were already fired, why were you so worried about Dunlap? Even going to the Bureau of Missing Persons yourself? Because he was the best friend I ever had.
4: It hardly jives with the story Lieutenant Riley is building up.
2: Say, Sarah Yes? You're a college man, aren't you? Oh, what of it? Syracuse, 1942. What? Why, yes, but but how did you know? This, um, Phi uh, Phi Beta Kappa, too, aren't you? That's right. But what are you driving at, Lieutenant? Well, uh, this Phi Beta Kappa key. The medical examiner found it clenched in Dunlap's fist. It's yours. I... I don't know how it could have gotten there. He must have ripped the key off your chain as he fell off the roof. Okay, Starrett, I'm arresting you on suspicion of murder. It's nice of you to visit me in jail, Valentine. But what's the use of going over the same story again? Well, follow it, go right on. let say it intrigues me, Starrett. Follow it, go right on denying I ever gave her that key. I can't prove it. Why should you believe me any more than anyone else? Because I happen to know a little more about the lady in question. Now, look, friend, let's stop being delicate. Paula decided she liked your type and made you the odd man in the triangle. That's why Dunlap was giving you the gate. Oh, I... I tried to break off with her. But she always managed to be around. Taunting me. She had me spinning on my head.
5: Yeah, I know what you mean.
2: Say, did you have a fight with Dunlap when he fired you? No, I... I wish there had been. That would have been easier than the way it was. Go on. He was hurt... And I was sick and ashamed of myself. He knew
1: there were others, and that made the whole thing even cheaper.
2: Now, surely just firing you, it wasn't the answer for Donald Lapp. Oh, he knew that. One of my last acts as his secretary was drawing up the papers that cut her out of his will. Hey, now, wait a minute. That just puts you in deeper. That means Paula had no motive.
7: Hey, how about insurance?
2: Well, uh, there was a big policy Philip took out recently with Paula's beneficiary. He didn't change that. Oh, isn't that kind of strange? Oh, it wasn't something he overlooked. There was a funny smile on his face when he told me he was leaving that as is. That's very interesting. Oh, <laughs> look, Valentine, I didn't kill Philip. When I was there, I didn't
7: even know he was out on the roof. Okay,
2: I'll just take it easy. I'll do what I can. What can you do? You'll never get the truth about that key out of Paula. And Dr. Worse. so Wormsley swears there was a man out there struggling with Philip. What man? A burglar? One of Paula's ex-boyfriends? Or possibly the man on the moon? I think I'll drop in on Paula again. I don't know what I expect to find, but... With a gal like that, the unexpected is bound to be interesting.
6: Well, if it isn't my next-door neighbor. What now? Cup of sugar? Couple of eggs? Well,
2: maybe I did make a little fib, but you didn't believe me anyway, did you, Mrs. Dunlap?
6: Paula. Okay, Paula.
2: Too bad about young Sterrett, isn't it?
6: What a thing to say to a grief-stricken widow. Can I get you anything? We may as well make ourselves comfortable.
2: <laughs> You've got a head start in those lounging pajamas. They're really something.
6: Mm-hmm. I was wondering when you were going to notice them. Hey, you know,
2: I never appreciated before what lounging pajamas can do for a woman. Didn't you? No, no. I might say if she were... Out on a roof, and someone happened to see her from Dr. Wormsley's window. He might mistake her for a man. If
6: he'd never seen a woman before.
2: His office is more than two blocks away. But uh, to get back to our hypothetical woman, yeah. how much do you guess she'd have coming to her if her husband were murdered, and there was a nice fat insurance policy, the only thing he didn't cut her out of?
6: We've gotten a long way from lounging pajamas.
2: Oh, I don't know. And I can't help wondering what the lady in question would do if she had a perfect patsy and a difficult young man who was suffering pangs of conscience. She might even do something brash if she happened to remember the Phi Beta Kappa key he gave her in a tender moment.
6: Tell me, have you confided these flights of fancy to anyone else? Oh,
2: no, my sweet. I
7: wanted you to be the first to
6: know. And you, my sweet, will ruin your eyes reading all those pulp magazines. There's another angle to this lady of the rooftop. Oh, what's that? With all the insurance money she's sure to get, with an admiring eye for a certain broad-shouldered character who seems to know what it's all about, she might make life very pleasant for him. Very.
2: Mm. Uh, You couldn't say he knew what it was all about if he fell for a pitch like that, now, could you?
6: Oh... We better get my cigarette before we go on with this little game. Or well, you can
2: quit playing anytime you want to.
6: My dear old father used to play a lot of poker. He used to say the game was never over till the last bluff was called.
2: Huh? Didn't your old man tell you that even one of those effeminate-looking automatics make a loud noise and leave holes when they go off?
6: I have a permit for this gun.
2: uh Oh, come on now, Paula. Let's see if you can answer that phone with one hand.
6: You know, Georgie. That could be your next to the last blib remark.
2: When that phone stops ringing, you're going to worry yourself into a tizzy, trying to guess who it was.
6: We've been supposing a lot of things here tonight. Now, let me top it off. Suppose they found you draped on the floor there with a bullet in your head. Okay, what then? I was in bed when I heard sounds in the living room. I opened the door. There was a figure in the darkness. After everything I'd been through, I didn't stop to think. I shot the prowler.
2: I got to hand it to you, Paula.
6: Skip it. Just sit there on the couch a few minutes till I get my story straight. When I shoot you, I may have to tell the story a dozen times tonight, so it's got to be perfect.
2: Okay, you stalled too long. You missed a chance, beautiful. It'd be a mistake to shoot me now. What are you
6: talking about? Behind you, there's somebody out there on the penthouse roof. How you know I'm smarter than that. Whoa! Whoa! Who's... It? I'll take the point out.
4: Oh, you! Robert! Oh, that's you! Oh, George, there you are. I tried to call, and then I remembered about the empty penthouse next door and the adjoining sun deck, and... Oh, well, for Pete's sake, somebody say something. Oh,
2: just a little parlor game, Brooksy. Uh,
6: yes, yes. Uh, I was just showing Mr. Valentine how I almost mistook him for an intruder. Oh? Uh-huh. Uh, Lieutenant Raleigh will probably find it very amusing when we tell him
4: about it. Oh, <laughs> That ain't the way I see me. For the
2: time being, Angel, we have to see things fall way. But more important right now is to see if we can get a man out of bed. No trouble at all, Valentine. Don't mind selling a little insurance any time of the night. Are these all representative policies, Bennett? Yes, sir. Anything you want, we've got it. Life accident comprehensive liability tornado insurance plate glass
4: any insurance against fatality during parlor games.
2: Uh, what's that, Miss Brooks? Uh,
4: just a private joke. This
2: life insurance policy. Oh, any amount you want. Just a simple physical Well, these exam- clauses at the beginning—they're pretty standard in all life insurance policies, aren't oh, they? Yes, indeed. Each one of them meant to protect policyholder and the company.
4: Uh-huh. What's up, George?
2: Well, uh, thanks a lot, Bennett. Uh, you've been a great help.
4: Yeah, but look, old man. Sorry, shopping around, but
2: I'll keep you in mind. Let's go, Brooksy. Now, Brooksy, first thing in the morning, I want you to check with all the druggists in this section of town around Riverhouse, Dr. Wormsley's office, 20 or 30 blocks in each direction. Oh,
4: my aching I'm gonna feet. I'm going to
2: be with Lieutenant Riley. I hate to think of his blood pressure when I mention one little word. What That's the word. Valentine, if I had any hair, I'd tear it out. What are you talking about? Well, now, look, it can't do any harm, Lieutenant. No one in his right mind can doubt how Dunlap died. This Wormsley saw him shoved off the roof. Then the body was found sprawled all over an empty lot, 12 floors below. Cause and effect. I have every reason to doubt that Sterrick killed Dunlap. Uh, I suppose you're going to tell me Mrs. Dunlap killed him, huh? That she used to be the strong woman in the circus. I didn't say she killed him. Then who, what... Ah, for the love of heaven. How about that autopsy, Lieutenant? All right, Doctor. Will you tell Valentine here that he's just been wasting our time?
1: I wouldn't say that, Lieutenant. Huh? What'd you find? Enough poison in Dunlap to stop an army dead in its tracks. All right. All
2: right, I can't argue with the laboratory. But I don't get it, Valentine. How many times do you kill a man, poison, throw him off the roof? Ah, it's a wonder we didn't find a knife his back, too. Doctor, just how does this particular poison work? Instantly. Every muscle in the body becomes rigid
1: all at once and stays
2: Uh there. Uh-huh, then it's possible that after a couple of days, the effects of the poison could be mistaken for rigor mortis. Not only possible, Mr. Valentine. it seems just what happened. Hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. If Dunlap's fist was clenched like that the moment the poison took effect... How did that five beta copper key get in his hand? That's the point, Lieutenant. It was forced into it. And certainly Hal Sterrett didn't do it. That does it. That does it. I'm gonna have Paula Dunlap picked up, and she'd better have all the answers. <laughs> oh no. No, Mrs. Dunlap, you're going to have to do better than that.
6: I know how it looks, Lieutenant Raleigh, but you're wrong. Believe me.
2: Paula, you had to be the one who put that key in your husband's hand. Starett wouldn't sign his own death warrant. I know, but Here I... are the facts the jury will hear. You were the man Wormsley saw wearing lounging pajamas. You had the motive, the insurance money. so you poisoned Mr. Dunlap, then pushed him off the roof to implicate an innocent man.
6: All right. All right, I'll tell you just what happened.
2: Remember, Mrs. Dunlap, You're doing this of your own free will.
6: Hal Sterrett left that afternoon. I went out on the roof for a moment. Philip was there. An empty highball glass next to him. He was dead. Oh, don't look at me that way. He was already dead. He'd committed suicide.
2: How do you know that?
6: There was a note. Cruel note. Saying that I was the cause of all the unhappiness in his life. He was leaving me without a cent.
2: Okay. I suppose you have the note.
6: No. No. No, oh, I destroyed
2: it. Oh, now, that wasn't very smart.
6: Don't you see? I had to. So no one would ever find out it was suicide.
2: Now, wait a minute.
6: There was a clause in his policy. It's in most policies, saying that if he killed himself within the first year, the beneficiary wouldn't get a cent. Not much is true, huh? What I did was wrong, but I wasn't going to let Philip leave me without a cent. That'll stand up in court, won't it? Even though I did destroy the note, they'll believe me, won't they?
2: Since you ask my opinion, the answer's No. But my job is finished now.
4: No, no. George. George. Hey,
2: how goes it, Brooksie? What luck?
4: You were right. I found out what you wanted to know at the Gotham Pharmacy on Morton Boulevard. Now what? What am I going to do? I've got to find a way to prove I'm innocent. This isn't fair.
2: Remembering that gun you held in my face and Hal stare at I'm tempted to keep my mouth shut and let you stew in your own juice. What do you mean? Me and you both. I don't know what charge you're going to hold her on, Lieutenant. But it won't be murder. What?
6: Did you hear what he
4: said, Lieutenant?
2: What are you talking about, Valentine? he just found out that Philip Dunlap bought that poison himself at the Gotham Pharmacy.
4: On a doctor's prescription he forged. Oh, George. Oh, how can I ever thank
2: you? Oh, that's easy. The next time you're up on that roof alone, see if you can prove the law of gravity really works. <laughs>
4: that was sort of a morbid joke for Dunlap to play on his wife? Well,
2: Angel, Paula played a few pretty grim jokes herself.
4: Yes, but to leave her name in that insurance policy, knowing that she wouldn't get a penny... Crime,
3: punishment, to... Oh, uh, hello. Anybody here? Oh, oh Dr. On, uh, Burns. I just thought I'd drop you in and take care of that little bill I owe you. Oh, thanks.
4: Um, How did the birds look these days, Doctor? It was...
3: Oh, yes, yes. Uh, that reminds me. I must thank you, Valentine, for keeping my name out of the Dunlap case. After all, I was the key witness and I... Uh, Oh, dear. Well, that's all washed up now. Uh, thank goodness. Oh, yes. M- Mrs. Dunlap isn't living there anymore, you know. Huh? It seems three young ladies are sharing that apartment now. And yesterday... Why,
4: Dr. Wormsley, oh. what kind of birds are you watching now?
3: Oh, well, uh, they, uh, they were very wild canaries. Oh, goodness. <laughs> what am I saying? <laughs>
1: And now, a message of importance to motorists. If this is the time of year your family gets travel-minded, it's probably the time you start thinking about new tires. And you know which make of tire gives you a written warranty against ordinary road hazards? The answer is easy. Atlas tires. That's right. Each new Atlas passenger tire is warranted for 12 months against blowouts, cuts, and bruises that might happen to ordinary tires. And each Atlas tire has a double warranty, first by the manufacturer and second by the distributor. Another thing to keep in mind when you're buying tires is a two or four, wear better than an uneven number. Give you softer riding and easier car handling. For that extra margin of safety, get Atlas tires at standard stations and independent Chevron gas stations where they say and mean we'll take better care of your car. Next week, when you tune our way for another adventure of George Valentine, you'll hear. Well, Brooksy looks like playing Big Brother. la Spencer Tracy didn't work out. Eddie beat it while I was shaving.
4: Oh, that crazy little kid! He only
2: left this note. He's on the prowl. to quote he's going after, Stan Lucas.
4: Oh no! What can we do, George?
2: I gotta stop him somehow. Hey, listen. You look up Emily. Maybe she can give us a clue how we can find Eddie. Okay, George. And remember, Brooksy. It's a race against time. <laughs>
1: Stay tuned for Phil Harris and Alice Faye next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Phil Harris and Alice Faye next on Theater of the Mind. Good
7: health to all from Rexall. It's Sunday. Time for the Phil Harris Alice Faye Show. Presented by the makers of Rexall drug products and your Rexall family druggists. Good health to all from Rexall. And now your Rexall family druggist brings you The Phil Harris Alice Faye Show Written by Ray Singer and Dick Chevrolet With Elliot Lewis, Walter Tetley, Robert North Janine Roos, Ann Whitfield, Gail Gordon Walter Scharf and his music Yours truly, Bill Foreman And starring Alice Faye and Phil Harris Like most housewives Alice is concerned about the high cost of living. It's been bothering her for some time, and this morning she's decided to broach the subject to Phil.
8: Phil, can I talk to you a minute? It's about the household bills, and I... Honey,
2: please, I have no time for things like bills. I'm a musician. (laughs) An artist, honey, an artist. My mind is filled with nothing but music. Now, if you'll excuse me, I want to listen to this record. What's the name of it? The Warsaw Concerto by Shostakovich.
8: <laughs> You're going to listen to that?
2: Certainly, and if I like the tune, I'm going to sing it on the program next week. <laughs> well,
8: that ought to be different. Now, look, Phil, I've got to talk to you about these bills. We're spending too much, and it's all your fault. You're too extravagant. Look at this pile of bills from Saxter Avenue, John Fredericks, Hattie Carnegie. Whoops! I <laughs> picked up my pile by mistake. <laughs>
2: And I'm extravagant
8: Well, you are Look at these bills Custom-made suits, hand-painted ties, imported shoes, suede shorts. All right, all
2: right Watch your blood pressure <laughs> Take it easy now Picking on me How about this bill? $8 for manicures, $15 for finger waves And $20 for facials, massages, cold creams and lotions Are you going to find fault with this one?
8: No, no those items, and ne- necessities.
2: Well, I'm glad you feel that way. Being in the public eye, I need all them things. <laughs> Besides, I'm not the only one that's extravagant. Look at these household bills. Look at this one from the grocer. Why do we need all these imported cheeses and fancy canned stuff?
8: You won't eat anything else. <laughs>
2: oh, Well, how about this butcher, Bill? Why do we have to have steaks, chops, and prime ribs all the time?
8: That's all you'll eat.
2: (laughs) Oh. Well, how about this $40 milk, Bill, and let's see you tie that one on to me. Bill,
8: there's no point in arguing. William suggested we cut down on meat. As our business manager, he feels we can save money there. In fact, he's out right now doing the shopping for us Oh, well, he's doing the
5: shopping
2: uh-huh. <laughs> Fine, ain't that ducky? I can just see him raising Mary Ned Because the price of Dutch cleanser's gone up a halfpenny. <laughs> Look, Alice, I'll tell you one thing You'd better come home with steaks Because Frankie and the boys in the band are coming over for dinner tomorrow night And they'll be expecting those nice, juicy steaks I always serve Oh, boy, I can't Good wait Good Mo-
9: morning, Philip Go
2: Well, if it ain't bargain boy Fay, the scourge of Safeway.
9: How did you make out, William? I got everything you need for tomorrow night, and I... Oh, was quite alone to carry. I'm all tucking out.
2: <laughs> well, give Grandma your basket, little red riding hood. Come on, Willie, open the sacks. Let me see those steaks you got for tomorrow night. My mouth is watering for
9: some of those oh, good old... I didn't get steaks. I got something much more delicious. Yes, I did. Mm-hmm.
5: <laughs>
2: something better than steaks, huh? What are we having?
9: Creamed codfish balls.
2: Creamed cod... Co- Willie, please, don't say things like that. You know, I'm a musician and I just got up. I'm in a weakened condition.
5: <laughs> Creamed
9: cod... Philip? The cuts of steak you like cost a dollar fifty cents a pound. Much too expensive. Now the menu I prepared for tomorrow night is excellent. Cream codfish balls are wonderful. They're inexpensive, nutritious, and positively delicious.
2: Thank you, Prudence Penny. <laughs> get lost, Elroy. What are you trying to do? Poison my friends with you arranging the dinner? How can it possibly be a success? It
9: will be a success, Philip. It will. I guarantee that after a few cocktails, there. I don't care what. Cocktails. <laughs>
2: Brother William, you may return to the fold.
5: <laughs>
2: all is forgiven. Well, hey, are you sure you got enough to drink
9: for all of us? Definitely, Philip. I got two whole gallons of sauerkraut juice.
2: Is it cold?
5: <laughs> <laughs>
2: sauerkraut juice?
9: Yes. Isn't it an ideal combination?
2: Oh, Dad, Dad. <laughs> Yes, indeedy. I can't wait to dunk a codfish ball into a puddle of sauerkraut. Really,
9: Philip, I don't know why you're making all this fuss. Alice, do you see anything wrong with a combination of sauerkraut juice and cream oh, codfish? please, ba-
8: please, Willie. I feel a little faint myself. <laughs> Thanks for your help, brother, but I'll take over from here.
9: Well, Alice, I'll just carry it into the kitchen for you. Uh, shall I leave it on the table or shall I put it in the refrigerator?
8: Just throw it on the floor.
2: <laughs> Maybe the cat will get at it. Oh, Willie, Frankie and the guys are coming over for steak and now... Come in! Frankie, I don't mind. He's like one of the family. He don't come over just for what he gets to eat. Oh, hello, Frankie. What time do we eat, Curly? <laughs> Frankie, the dinner isn't until tomorrow night. Oh. Well, in that case, I better take off this napkin. (laughs) I could have sworn that you said tonight was the dinner. All right, all right. Come on in. You can have dinner with us tonight, too. That's real nice of you, Curly. Frankie, look, I'm glad you came over. Something's got me awful upset. Well, you're the only one I can talk to. Seems like you're the only friend I got who will listen to me. Yeah.
7: What time did you say we're going to (laughs) eat?
2: I didn't say. I told you that it's still three hours until dinner. You're a little over-anxious, aren't you? Of course not. I didn't come over here just to eat. And put away the knife and fork. <laughs> Look, Remley, I got some bad news for you. Yeah? We're not having steak tomorrow night. I hope you don't mind, kid. No, that's okay, Curly. I ain't particular. I'll eat anything. If I can't have steak, I'll eat
5: something else.
2: What are we going to have? Cream codfish ball.
5: Frankie, come back here!
7: <laughs> now,
2: come on inside.
7: All right, but if you ever say a thing like that to me again, I'll punch
5: you right in the nose. You know? Close that door and come on in. <laughs>
2: you ought to know very well it ain't my fault. Willie says that we're spending too much money on meat and he's going to arrange the menu. Willie, that's square. Suppose that means we're not gonna have any drinks before dinner. Oh, yes.
5: Yes.
2: (laughs) Yes, sir. We're gonna have cocktails. Good. What kind? Well, we're gonna have excuse me. What are you doing? I gotta bolt the door before I lay this one on (laughs) you. Frankie? We're going to have sauerkraut juice before the codfish balls. <laughs> sauerkraut juice and codfish.
5: <laughs> Curly? <laughs>
2: what? I hate you. <laughs> I want steak. Stop thinking of yourself all the time. <laughs> Alice says steak costs her a dollar and a half a pound and we can't afford it all the time. There you
7: are, that's the trouble with
2: women They don't know how to shop Why should she pay a buck and a half? Curly, why don't you do the shopping? You can buy in quantity like a guy I know He bought a whole steer and he got it for 30 cents a pound He had it cut up and packaged 30 cents a pound That's all Yeah, 30 cents, that's all Hey, I could show Alice With a whole steer, I could have steak every day Sure. Hey, wait a minute Hey, what is a stairway? Pretty big, Curly. It weigh about a 100 pounds. <laughs> about a 100, huh? Cost you about 30 bucks for the whole thing. If you want one, I know a guy who's got a ranch and I can get it for you. You can? Uh-huh. Hey, look, Frankie, I'm going to buy one. Look, I can't leave now. You go over and buy it for me. Get the best meat he's got. Have it cut up into steaks and charge it to me. Okay, Curly. I'll take care of everything. Good. Now you buy the meat and let me know as soon as you consummate the deal. Okay. <laughs>
7: What does he expect me to get? Soup meat?
2: (laughs) Gee, I wonder why Frankie hasn't called you. He's been gone two hours. Oh, man, I can't wait to get that meat in the refrigerator. Just think, a hundred pounds of nice, thick, juicy steaks all cut up and neatly packaged and... Hey, I bet that's Frankie now. Oh, I can't wait to sink my teeth into those ever-loving fillets. Hiya, Curly. Hiya, Frankie. Well, did you buy my meat? Yeah, I got it with me. Already? Wow. Well, don't just stand there. Bring it in. Okay. Come on, bossy. Frankie, what have you got there? Your meat. Beautiful hunk of bovine, ain't it? But I didn't want it that way. I wanted it all wrapped up so I could put it in the refrigerator. Okay, get a piece of paper and we'll wrap them up. Frankie, I thought we were going to have it butchered and all cut up. Oh, this guy's just a rancher. He doesn't butcher it. Uh, Curly, it cost a little more than I expected. Instead of 30, it costs 40 cents a pound. 30, 40, 30. It <laughs> all right? I don't mind that. Certainly it's all right. 40 cents a pound for 100 pounds curling. is only... Curling? <laughs> what? Weighs a little more, too.
5: <laughs>
2: How much? 1,100 pounds. 11, huh? Remley, why do you do these things to me? I never done nothing to you I never kicked your grandmother I never did nothing you're to you What oh, are you getting excited about? What are excited about? Instead of 30 bucks, it's costing you a measly $440 <laughs> Besides that, you got enough meat here for two years Still cheaper than a dollar and a half a pound Oh, I guess you're right But what am I going to do with this animated bull Durham sign?
5: <laughs> Eat it
2: Eat it. Eat it. Fine. Yeah, Yeah. eat it. It's fine. I can just see him walking around the dining room table and everybody takes a bite as he goes.
7: (laughs) Eat it. Please, Curly, let's not be ubiquitous. Naturally, we slaughter the animal first. Let's take him in the kitchen and get started. Frankie, we
2: can't bring that thing in the kitchen. Well, why not? Alice is a little eccentric. She don't like to have strange stares running around the house. <laughs> Antisocial, huh?
5: <laughs> it's none of
2: my business, Curly, but at times your wife is inclined to be difficult. What's the matter with her anyway? Well, you know how women are. She's just- Oh, shut up! You <laughs> go! <New No. case! laughs> Why, if Alice ever saw what I bought, she'd think that I'm completely off... Bill, who rang the bell before? Hey, it's Alice. Quick, Frankie. Now, leave that steer on the porch and come on in and shut the door. Hurry up. Okay. Now, not a word to Alice. She must know that you got... Phil,
8: Phil, did someone come... Oh, hello, Frankie. Hi, Alice.
2: Say you look very well.
8: (laughs) Well, the same to you. (laughs) Is that? Frankie, I, 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 who, who's that stomping out on our porch, Phil? Who?
2: Oh, that's, uh, oh, oh, honey, it's my lady harpist.
8: <laughs> what is she wearing, army shoes? What is she doing out on the
7: porch? Who brought her over? Your wife's a nosy little blonde. Quiet, will you keep
2: quiet a minute? Alice, listen to me. Now, the lady harpist came over to rehearse, and, um, well, she, she didn't want to disturb us, so she's practicing outside.
8: Well, I must admit she's playing it much better this week. Bill <laughs> Harris, I'm going to see who's out on that porch myself. Alice, I wouldn't go out there for. I'm going to see. Ah! Oh, for heaven's sake!
6: Oh, something Phil. wrong, Alice.
8: Oh, Phil, Phil Harris, what is that horrible monster you've got out there? Oh, huh?
2: Oh, honey, it. Oh, it's just a steer. What? I bought it to save money on meat. Look now this way. It only costs forty cents a pound, and we'll have enough meat for two years. Yeah, come on, Curly. Let's take it in the kitchen, cut it up into steaks, and put it in the refrigerator. No, no.
8: Now wait a minute. Why don't you take that thing into my kitchen? If you want it slaughtered, take it over to the butcher.
7: Okay, we'll take it over to the market. Come on, Curly. All right. Hey, what?
2: Hey, Remley. How are we going to get him over there? Same way I brought him over to your house. Hey, taxi. <laughs> You brought the steer over here in a taxi? I had to The streetcar was too crowded Cut that out (laughs) Which reminds me, Curly You owe me $28.75 for taxi All right, all right You'll get it It's only a half a mile to the market We'll walk it over All right Come on, bossy
8: See you later, Alice Come on, fellas Gee, I'm a lucky girl It isn't every husband who brings his wife a live steer East is East and West is West, and the wrong one I have chose. Let's go where I'll keep on wearing those frills and flowers and buttons and bows and rings and things and buttons and bows. Don't bury me in this prairie, take me where the cement grows. Let's move down to some big town where they love a gal by the cut of her clothes, and I'll stand out in buttons and bows.
1: We'll
8: love you in buckskin or skirts that you've spun. Oh, but I'll love you longer, stronger where your friends don't tote a gun. My bones denounce the buckboard bounce and the cactus hurts my toes. Let's bear moose where gals keep using those silks and satins and linen that shows. And I'm all yours in buttons and bows. Because the city's where I feel at home And not the lone Prairie. My bones denounce The buckboard bounce And the cactus hurts my toes Let's moose where gals Keep using those silks and satins And when i And I'm all yours in buttons and bows eastern tennis. Where women are women in high silk hose And peekaboo clothes And French perfumes And rocks the room.
5: And tonight. I'm all Buttons
2: and bowls. Hey, Remley, we're blocking traffic. Can't you get this rump roast to move a little faster? Maybe if you got off and pushed it it'd help. Hey, Curly, look, we're at the market already. Already, he says. Already. Hmm? It's taking us two hours to go a half a mile. Now let's get off and take him over to Meet Market. I hope nobody sees us with this. Hi, Mr. Harris.
5: Uh oh. (laughs) Hello,
2: Julius. Hi, kid.
10: Good to see you, Mr. (laughs) Remley. You too, Mrs. (laughs) Renley.
7: What are you,
5: wise guy?
7: Mrs. Remley?
5: It's possible. (laughs) I've seen you out with stranger looking things than that. All
2: right, all right, you two. Break it up. Let's break it up. Hey, kid, where's the butcher that don't just meet Margaret? Wife. He buys his meat across the street?
10: Yeah, he can't afford to buy it here. (laughs) What do you want with him?
2: I want him to slaughter the stair.
10: So, you're leaving Rexall and going in the meat meat business, huh? (laughs) Smart move, Mr. Harris. You'll make an excellent butcher.
2: Wait a minute. I ain't leaving Rexall and I ain't going in the meat business (laughs) either. I knew all the time he wasn't that old. Meat business. I'm not going in no meat business. I wouldn't know how to butcher anything.
10: I heard your program last Sunday, and I begged to differ with you.
5: <laughs> anyway, the butcher
10: can't slaughter it for you. you got to have that done by the packing company downtown.
2: Downtown? How are we going to get them downtown?
10: I'll rent you my delivery truck. What it'll cost you is 20 bucks 20
2: bucks? Hey, Remley, this thing is adding up Well, we gotta have the truck Here's your 20, kid
10: Hey, he's actually got the (laughs) dough You must have got your allowance from Miss Faye
2: Yeah, I can't get no allowance from Miss Faye And don't worry, there's plenty more where that came from So long, kid
10: Uh, Wait a minute, there's something stamped on this money
2: There is? What does it say?
10: This twenty dollar bill was stolen from the pace of Alice Fay.
2: Stop. <laughs> hey, Ramley, let's get out that
1: packing house. We don't
2: slaughter cattle for individuals as a rule, Mr. Harris, but I guess we can accommodate you this time. Oh, gee. Thanks, mister. I'll take the steer. Gee. Kinda, kinda hate to see him go. I've become sort of attached to him. Stop slobbering. (laughs) Go on, bossy. Go with the man. Go on. Oh, go on, will (laughs) you? This ain't no attitude to take. The man ain't gonna hurt you. Oh, Frankie, how can you lie to the animal like that?
5: <laughs>
2: Let me talk to him. Bossy. I know, I know, I know, I know how you feel. <laughs> but, but that's life. Horns up, old boy.
5: <laughs>
2: you, 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 you've just got the... Face these things and 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 be brave, <laughs> Mister Harris. Are you related to this steer? <laughs> of course, I'm not related. It just just breaks my heart to have you to have you slaughter him and cut him up. Would you rather take him to a mortician and have him laid out? But crying out loud, let the man take him. Come on, boy. You gentlemen, wait here. I'll have him ready for you soon.
7: Well, Mr. Harris, your steer has been slaughtered and cleaned. That will be $55,
2: please. $55? But I... Oh, well, I guess it's worth it. I still have 1,100 pounds of prime beef. Not exactly. (laughs) You realize in slaughtering, there's a little waste. Oh, sure, of course. Certainly. I expected that. (laughs) Uh, What does it weigh now? 600 pounds. (laughs) Six? But it weighed 1,100. What happened to the rest of it? Well, in cleaning, there's a shrinkage. What did you use, a cheap dry-cleaning (laughs) fluid? This thing is now costing me 80 cents a pound. Oh, wait, wait, wait. That's still less than a buck and a half, Curly. We'll take our meat, mister. Like this? Don't you want it dressed? No, we'll eat it nude. (laughs) But you can't eat it like this. You have to have it dressed. All right. Oh, that's okay, mister. That's all right. Now, we'll... How much does that cost? Wait! (laughs) Whisper it to me. Lay it on me lightly. (laughs) Well, it shouldn't be too much. We can have it dressed for you for uh, $85. 85 Who's going to dress it, Adrian? <laughs> we'll take it to the Star Outfitting
7: Company. They do a cheaper job. Quiet. I'll leave the man
2: alone. Look, Mister, go ahead and dress it and cut it. Anything, just so I get my steaks and chops. Steaks and chops. Don't you want any other cut of meat? Look, Mister, please don't argue with me. I don't feel too good. Will you just get me my steaks and chops? If that's what you want. Very well. <laughs> Mr. Harris, your steaks and chops are all cut and packaged for well, you. Thank goodness. Come on, Frankie. Let's get the six hundred pounds on the truck before we. Right. Um. Hmm? Um. Mister. Uh. We do have six hundred pounds, don't we? Not exact. <laughs> uh, how much? One hundred pounds. You only wanted steaks and chops, you know. But only a hundred pounds. I told you steer weighed only a hundred pounds. I told will you keep...
5: <laughs>
2: Look, mister, let's forget the whole thing. Glue my steer together and I'll take him home, will you? <laughs> Brimley, you got me into all this. Buy a steer, save money, 30 cents a pound, enough for two years. Look, I never want to see you again. Mister, give me my meat, I'll take it. Like this?
5: Oh,
2: oh I know I'm a sucker for asking, but what now? Well, for this much meat, you'll have to have it quick frozen. You'll need a locker. And for only $120 a year, we can let you have one of our best lockers. A locker yet? Look, I just want to eat this steer. I don't want him to join a country club. <laughs> I know he's a pedigree steer, but do we, does he have to be a social butterfly? But, Mr. Harris... All right, all right. I'm too weak to argue. I'm trying to save money, and now these steaks are costing me over $7.50 a pound. Remley, this is all your fault. My fault? I can't help it if you pay black market prices for me.
5: <laughs> you know something? If I wasn't sick, I'd punch you right in the It's guys like you, mean, you that cause inflation. You, you brought, brought mistakes. a time mistake. like this, it's up you there. in you my house. To you the had tell coming all over. Kill. I need meat like I need a whole man. What are you fighting
2: to tell
8: That I'm so sick. Now, no, take it easy, honey. He'll be all right, won't
5: he, Doctor? Yes,
7: he just suffered a shock to his nervous system, resulting in a slight case of high blood pressure. Mm. All he needs is rest, fresh air, and lots of nourishment.
2: Nourishment? Well, wow. cost me a fortune, but at least it wasn't wasted. I got a hundred pounds of meat to help build me up. Uh, Mr.
7: Harris, one other thing. Yes? No meat for six months. No meat for six months. <laughs> Stay tuned to this station for the Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy show, which follows immediately.
5: This
1: is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Gunsmoke, followed by Richard Diamond, private detective. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor.